And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad you tuned into the show today. Hope you'll stay with us for the next hour. We'll be on until 10 o'clock Eastern time here on WPSL. And we invite your participation in the show. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers to for, for how to reach us. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm, as you just heard, I'm one of the preacher, I'm one of the elders and the preacher of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones is my partner. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. We we try to present this show to for you each week to t- talk about the idea of being just a Christian and not part of some man-made denomination, and we make our decisions as best we can based on what we understand the New Testament to teach about how not only the church, but how we as individuals ought to uh, ought to be living. And so we believe the New Testament is authoritative. So when you call the show, whether you're religious or not, we're going to try to give you an answer from the New Testament or from the Bible about what you should, what, what, uh, what we think is the right course of action or the right way to understand things. So we'll talk about different human traditions and different religions. And we'll always try to point back, um, always try to point back to what the Bible says about things before we uh, give you an answer. So we hope that you'll also develop this attitude of always asking, well, yes, but what does the Bible say rather than just taking the word of a priest or a preacher or somebody else, and, and including us, including our our word about things, that you'll take a look into the New Testament to see what is actually what it actually teaches. So, Gary, do you want to quote your favorite verse? Yeah, I was about, gonna, about I was the just, right place. Is about the right place? I was thinking about that. John twelve forty eight. Jesus is speaking, and he says, "Who?" Re- he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. There you go. So Jesus says that his words will judge us. He implies a lot of things in that, that he's the son of God, that he has the right to judge us, that we will be judged. We will be judged by the words that he speaks up against them, not some counsel or what our own thinking He's not going to ask us, well, how did you feel in your heart when you did these things? That's not the question that Jesus is going to ask us in the end, you see. So his word is authoritative, and, we're, we, there is this, and there is a day of judgment coming. All those things we believe the New Testament teaches, and therefore we believe them and try to teach them. Now, we would love for you to call the show, whether you're a believer or not, uh, with any kind of – if you have uh, – complaints or negative things that you'd like to talk about about religion or religious people or the questions about the Bible or even personal questions you come up in your life about, you know, how things are, feel free to call. You're not going to be judged on this show. You're not going to be harangued, not going to be taken advantage of. Uh, we're just going to talk together and we're going to look at the scriptures. You can reach We Are Just Christians by calling 772-340-1590. That's the regular call-in number for WPSL, 772-340-1590. And then you can also reach us a couple of other ways. One is by text message. Some people prefer that. You may text two different numbers. One's mine, one's Gary's. 
My number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And then the other number is 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. Those are the ways you get a hold of us. You can also reach us by email, which is we can't respond to. during. We can respond to text during the show and often do, but we can't respond to emails very well. There's too many things to manage during a live show, but you can reach us by email at, at justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net is the number to reach us. Uh, we have a caller, but I'm going to, I just wanted to point out, you know, if you, I happen to think of it, Gary, every week I give these numbers and me and your numbers and everything is a bunch of zeros and sixes and ones and twos. And I just, think there's probably some kind of a numerologist out there that can <laughs> uh, confirm that my impression is that the, if you add up all those numbers and subtract the square root of 74, it comes up to listen to what Mike is saying to you. <laughs> I think that's what that message is. If you well, look at it, th- there's, there's, there's one thing I'd like to say about <laughs> what we read. Jesus says the word that I speak will, will judge him in the last day. Uh, I just admonish our readers and, and we'll get to the call in just a second. Read the Bible. Do not be afraid to read it yourself. It was written for you to read and understand. And we don't often point that out, but one of the it's things... It's not like a how-to video. No, it's not like a how-to but, video. But it, it's it, but different, the, it's, but you can understand It's going to it. challenge you at every level. Yes, yes it really is. Uh, and that's part of the benefit of it. And just note how many times in his life Jesus says... Well, here's one. Matthew, I'm just going to read a phrase here, part of Matthew 12:3 says, "Have you not read?" Okay, in have Matthew 12:5, "Have you not read the law that on the Sabbath?" And he goes on, uh, you know, all of these things. Mark, um, yes, one guy. How do you read it? How, how, how readest thou? Yeah, Challenging them about what the word God said. Challenging them about what yeah. the word says. And then when we come down to Paul in uh, Ephesians 3 and 4, he says, "For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles." If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I mean, I can't, it just doesn't get any plainer than that. Right, right. There it is. That's how we get knowledge from the Bible, from God, is that way. Well, let's go to the phones. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jerry. I, I, Gary, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll be brief. Uh, I was wondering in the passage in the Bible uh, when I talk about uh, a workman passing into heaven, it's like going through the eye of a needle. Uh, when you uh, take into account for, uh, the meaning of benevolence, uh, what it means to show kindness towards other people, uh, just, uh, I wonder if I got the real correct and, uh, just what was his meaning. Uh, and I'd like to listen off air, uh, Mike, if I'll be okay. That'd be great, uh, Jerry. We, we, uh, if you want to listen off air, that I appreciate you calling in very much. And you know, that question about the eye of a needle and so forth and what that means is a, um, it's a pretty common question. I mean, it's, 
it's one that people have struggled with, the meaning of this passage. And it's in Matthew 19. Um, it's also in Luke 18, 25. Also, yes. Um, the, the preceding story, Jerry, the, the, to me, the way to understand some of this is to look at what is said before this, in uh, at least in the Matthew account. Um, I'm trying to remember the context in Luke. Maybe it's the same thing, but in uh, I think it's, it's also it's in Mark 10. In Luke. It's uh, the same in Luke. He tells the he tells them that a a young man came to him. One came to him and said, "Good teacher, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life?" And he says, "Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God." And if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. In other words, follow the law of Moses. They were living in Jesus' lifetime. He was living under the commandments of Moses, the law as a Jew, the law of Moses. And he urged the people to keep those were God's commandments. The law of Moses was you keep the commandments. That's what he tells this man. And so he said, which one? And so he lists some thou, sh thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth up. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or complete, that's how we know what the word perfect means. It doesn't mean sinless. It means complete or full. Go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. So he tells him, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow him. But when the young man heard this, that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now here's Jerry's verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then Peter answered and said, see, we have left all and followed you. We've done what you said, Peter saying. Therefore, what shall we have? He said, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits in the throne in his glory, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, all the rest who have left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many are who are first shall be last and the last first. Now, so the context of this statement that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God is this one who comes to him with great wealth, ask what he can do, to be saved and Jesus says come and follow me sell all that you have and come follow me and he wouldn't do it because he had too many great possessions that's the general context of it and then Jesus on the other end of that the apostles he points they point out to him and he agrees with it that they've left all and he tells them they're going to inherit great things great wealth as it were <clears throat> because they followed him so now there's a two or three. It seems uh, that he's uh, the question has always been, Jerry, about this business of the rich man and the and the camel in the eye of a needle. 
is he talking about something literal and saying it is literally impossible for a rich man to be saved? Literally impossible for a rich man to be saved. Or is he using it as an exaggeration of some sort? Or some have proposed that there was literally a place somewhere around Jerusalem that they called the eye of the needle that camels had to get down on their knees and crawl through to get through. Or some have said there's a place where in order to get through, you have to unload the camels of all their burdens, and then the camels can get through if you unload all the burdens from the camels and you can take them through. So if you take off the possessions and unload yourself of the burdens of these possessions, you see you could get through the eye of the needle. So some say it was a physical location. Others say it is simply an illustration or metaphor. I tend to be in that camp. I don't know of any geographical place that's ever been established that this is. It doesn't really seem to be the meaning of it. On the other hand, I don't think Jesus is saying it's impossible for a rich man to be saved because we have a bunch of people in the Bible who are rich who are saved, such as Abraham, for example. Okay. Yes. Quite a few people like that in the Bible. And one of the reasons, one of the ways, and this this bears on this passage because one of the ways that God showed his approval of men like Abraham and Job even is he made them wealthy, you see. So the people of ancient times, this is why they're so astounded by this statement, Gary, because when they when the disciples heard this, they were astonished. They said, well, who then can be saved? That may be evidence of the ancient idea, and not so much an ancient idea, but we know it was prevalent then, maybe now, that that uh, uh, the reason that, that that's how you told who was approved by God is how wealthy they were. That the poor people, obviously, God didn't like them because he didn't bless them. They must be wicked. They must be wicked in some way. But the rich people must be good because God is blessing them. Don't you just love it today, Gary, when people spend half their time buying into the envy of the rich and so forth? There are people that were celebrating this billionaire that got killed on this submarine. They were cel- that Mother Nature just you know consumes billionaires and isn't it a wonderful thing? There were lots of tweets like that from the communists and socialists and progressives among us. On the other hand, if you gave them a chance to be a billionaire, <clears throat> they would take it. Oh, yeah. See, this is the thing. We 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 have this idea that the problem with the billionaire to these people, to Marxists, is that they're not the billionaire. Okay. but but what does this mean? Are rich people blessed? Is that no wealth does not imply that God is blessing you? Well, or does poverty imply that he's cursing you? Yeah. Let me let me throw a little a little something a little different in here in in Job in Chapter 31. Job, this is this is sometimes called the worthy man because Job lifts some things and he lists things primarily that he has not done that would made that would made him displeasing to God if he had or been worthy of judgment if he had. And in Job thirty one twenty four, now remember God calls Job a righteous man, a blameless man is I think the word that's used. And in Job 31, verses 24 and 25, Job says, basically, in effect, he says, these are things I have not done, because if I had done these things, it would be worthy of, you know, being judged or persecuted. He says, 
if I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, that basically is the condition of a rich man in many ways. And, and when you look back at what the rich, wrong, rich young ruler did back in Matthew and Luke, he was kind of making his wealth his hope. He was looking for eternal life, and he was trying to make wealth his hope for eternal life. The way I would say that this pa- passage teaches we should teach what it teaches us about possessions or wealth. It's really, in the end, a question of how tightly you hold it, not yeah. whether you have it. How tightly do you hold on to it? If I've made it uh, my hope. Right. Yeah. There you go. How, are you willing? Are you? He didn't tell the young man he was bad because he had the money. He said, just let it go and trust me. And Jesus even tells the disciples that when you do this, I will bless you when you are. And that's part of Jerry's point here about benevolence. He mentioned benevolence and benevolence does have something to do with this, um, this whole question that um, you have to be willing to let it go and give it away or do what you need to do with it and not, not trust in it as you, as your hope. Uh, So God then can keep blessing you because he knows you're the kind of person that's not, it's not going to destroy. But uh, people today are so enamored about physical things and even physical beauty and all that. They'll do anything to hold on to these things and to accumulate it. And therefore, it becomes a trap and a snare to them. He, he, Job, Job goes on to say, and, and this is the point, I think, in this passage, in 24 and 25, you know, he even goes so far as to say, it's not just gold. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, we realize it's not really our hand that gained it. He goes on down into 28 and he says, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. Right. By, by putting those things first, I'm denying God. Right. Uh, there's another passage about this that I think Americans and those of uh, those of the world that God has blessed. And generally speaking, if we're living in the United States of America, just we're, all of we're blessed, blessed. Okay. Beyond, and we need to continually these things, these posts I see people complaining because, you know, their fries were cold from McDonald's and or I don't even eat at McDonald's. What kind of I don't eat that trash. I'm too good for that kind of trash and all this kind of stuff. How un, how ungrateful people are. All food is clean. <clears throat> you, but we shouldn't stop there, Gary. That's what the Bible says. All food is clean if it's received with thanksgiving. If you have the finest delicacies and you don't receive with thanksgiving, it's unclean to you because it's it's <laughs> condemning you. I see. I, I may have mentioned this before. I watch this some of these. Um, I watch these some of these British shows, you know, British crime dramas. And there was one show about a chef who was a kind of a detective, strange combination. He fancy chef and all these wealthy people there in these shows and 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 all and, and they always having these dinners. And it ends with the show kind of ends with this big sh- fancy foods of all kinds. How wonderful all it is. And I did not once in this entire show see anyone bow their head and give thanks for any of the great food and all the ingredients that they show all they were playing up all how wonderful all this is how great it tastes how sumptuous it is not once did one person bow their head and give thanks it was striking to me um 
but here's what he says in first and first Timothy six. <clears throat> uh, this is a this is a passage that we really should spend some more time. If you want to do something productive for yourself today as a modern American, <clears throat> take a look at this passage today and think about what it really means. He says in first Timothy six, verse six. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out, although people do try, don't they? Try to get buried in their 57 Chevys. Well, now, you know, we don't have to even think about modern times. The pharaohs buried themselves and even the poorer people with all kind of possessions in their tombs so they could carry it to the next world. And it's still there. We found it. They didn't use it, okay, because they, they, they were wanting to carry it all out, I guess, in some fashion, but they didn't. Uh, and having food and clothing... We, with these, we shall be content. Having food and clothing, with these, we shall be content. Well, that depends if it's actually go, uh, gourmet food and the coffee's a certain blend, ethically sourced from certain places, and the meat is this and that, a certain kind, age a certain way, then we can be content, right? And the clothing has to be of certain labels and materials and fit just right, you know, in the right styles. My wife explained to me, Gary, that, um, that, that a certain class of women, they, they won't wear certain patterns from one year to the next because that's obvious to their friends that that's last year's pattern of material or cut. And it would be a sh a embarrassing thing for them to appear in public in that kind of a dress or blouse because it's got a pattern from last year that the designers used, not this current year. Now, these are the kind of rich that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to be plain about that. That's exactly what he's talking about here. That kind of person with that kind of attitude, I won't eat certain things because it's, they're not fine enough. This is a glutton. A glutton isn't having an extra helping at supper. A glutton is having to have only certain things can pass your muster and your lips, and only certain kinds of clothing and those kind of things can can be you can wear them. This is he said we should be content having food and clothing, generic, okay, generic. I mentioned to some poor people that I deal with occasionally. Well, you know you can get uh, some nice shoes at at the Goodwill, or you can get, you need a work shirt, they have them down at the Goodwill for a few dollars. And the look I get is, are you kidding me? Me? Go to Goodwill? Even though they're asking me for money, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I get the look. You, I can't wear something that came from Goodwill. You can't. I do it all the time. But anyway, they and they would look, they would then view, they would then view me as less in status in their eyes because I bought clothes at Goodwill or wear them and encourage them to do so. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't have much money and you or you want to keep the money you have, you, you need. But nope, can't do that. Anyway, he said, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. I saw a meme, Gary, this week on the on the, somewhere that said, if money is the root of all evil, how, evil, how come churches ask for it? <laughs> well, he got corrected right away that the Bible does not say 
what, money, one guy said, is one guy of. said, misquoting passages is the root of all evil. That was <laughs> that was a good. The Bible says the love of money is the root. is the root of all evil. So you can be very very poor and have the love of money and become an evil person because of that. Having the money isn't the problem. It's loving the money that's the problem. Isn't that what the problem with the rich young ruler was? Yes. He loved the money. And he says, so the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it literally says, for which, for which some have strayed from their faith in, in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O young man, flee these things, and you pursue righteousness, godliness, now, faith, you, love, and patience, and so forth. If you go on down a little bit further in First Timothy in, verse, in chapter 6 and start at verse 17, there's something very interesting about verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, which is what we're talking about, right. but in the living God who, li who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, he didn't say throw it all away. He says use it. That's, that where, the, that's where the benevolence and the generosity come from. Now, we have another caller, but let me just summarize uh, this point for, for Jerry. Uh, that Jesus is saying uh, it's very difficult. He's using a, a humorous exaggeration. And yet he tells them right there that with man, things are impossible. If you depend upon the wisdom of men, it's impossible. But if you depend upon God, with God, all things are possible. Yes, God will save a rich man because God can change that rich man from someone who is greedy and self-centered into someone who is generous and, and so forth. And therefore, he can use the rich man. He said in verse 18, he says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Ready to give and willing to share. There's the key. Yes. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Laura, are you are you there? Well, I'm, I'd like to give. Oh, yes. Let's, hold, on, hold on one second, Laura. Good morning. Like give, hold, hold on one second, Laura. I'd like to give Jerry one more admonition. Jerry, I would like for you to go to the book of Job and read all of chapter one. The things that Job mentions there, and it will be clear that he is in a negative way defining a good man. Read all of those. It's not just the wealth. It's not just money. It's not just that. But please read all of Job chapter 31, I believe it is. That was my admonition. Okay. 31, not 1. 31. 31. Okay. All right, Laura. Sorry. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Oh, no, no. Well, you finally hit the nail on the head at the end uh, of your talking there that apart from God, you can do nothing. That is the basis of that message. So it's not completely impossible for a rich man to enter heaven. He's only getting there through the blood of Jesus. Right. Yeah. You, the, the, uh, the blood of Christ then will alter when you let the word sink into your heart will alter your desires, your affections. And so you may have wealth, but you, you hold it lightly. You're willing to share and give it up and you will. And then God, God also says in second Corinthians that he gives seed to the sower in this very context of having money and being generous, he gives seed to the sower. And so those who share their wealth in a, in an open way or generous way, God considers them sowers of the, of good things, and then he blesses them with more of things. M most of these billionaires that you see, even the ones I don't politically agree with, a lot of these billionaires that you see are extremely generous people. 
I know the portrayal is often that they are tight fisted. They may they may handle their their finance, their business discreetly, and they may not try to waste their money. But on the other hand, they unfortunately for me, these liberal billionaires give their money to very unworthy causes. But they are generous with it. And that's the that's true of a lot of these people. It's uh, more the Ebenezer Scrooge type that that uh, are problematic. It's the love of the money that's the problem. What you'll find is a lot of these successful businessmen, they may be rich, but they don't they didn't start out to do these things because they love the money. They were good at what they did and they made money because of that. And they still love what they were doing not so much the money that they got from it. That's a different kind of a rich man than one who seeks out as a young man to get a lot of possessions and take advantage of people and run roughshod over people and get his way. And, and that's a different kind of person. And so that's the difference. It's God can cleanse the heart and change these things. Well, just like all walks of life, Mike, um, we, we can have different motives and people become can become wealthy for different reasons. Um, power can drive you to become wealthy or to try because money gives you power. Ecclesiastes <laughs> they go together. Says, they go together. All, all the lust. Laura, what, uh, I'm sure you had more on your mind there. What's, what else you have on your mind? Uh, well, no, no. I was just seeing that, you know, Jerry suffered a stroke. I like to give him short to the point answers so that he truly understands that apart from God, we can do nothing. Do nothing. That's right. With God, it's impossible. And that's what Jesus finally told the disciples. He planned our lives and every individual, no matter where you are in life, no matter where you've been, if you put your faith in God and develop that personal relationship, he will get you to the end. Right. You know, it's ironic. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to be speaking a little bit about this very issue in my sermon this morning. And of course, Jerry wouldn't know that, but the idea, as he says at the end of receiving, uh, if you've had to give up things to become a Christian, then he said he promises houses and brothers and sisters a hundredfold. Um, and what that means, I'm going to talk a little bit about that because um, this morning, God can only bless us in the end to the extent that we're willing to be blessed or to, sometimes he, he blesses us because he gives us houses and friends and security because we ourselves are the kind of person that others respect and love. And I'm going to talk about that story in Second Kings 4, Laura, where the woman didn't have any oil and was starving. And he, Elisha said, take, uh, go to your neighbors and get all, collect all the pots you can and all and so forth. And she did. And she had got all this pots. And when the oil didn't run. She began to pour into the pots, and it never ran out. Now, had she been the kind of person I've met, met a lot of, she might have been able to find one neighbor that would help her with one little pot, right? But she had apparently lived the kind of life before that time that she found lots of neighbors that had lots of pots and pans she could borrow, and she filled them up and was able to take care of her problem. God could bless her to the extent that she herself had been a blessing to other people. And and that's a that's a lesson that's and you can't you can't get that in the spur of the moment. A lot of people that come for help from churches, for example, they want instant help to solve all their problems 
but the kind of help they really need is the kind that would have accumulated over many years. Now, those are the folks that will never have anything to do with the gospel or darken the door of a church, as they would say, until they are in desperate need. And as soon as the money is handed to them, they disappear and they're never seen again. So God can't really bless those people very much. I can give them a little cash out of my pocket or something, but that's nothing compared to the blessing that they could receive if they would put spiritual things first. But they put addiction first. They put other passions first. Therefore, God can't bless them. It's a hard thing. It's it's what it is, though. Remember that story with the oil and Elijah and the widow and her son. Didn't he ask? her to make him a cake first, like honor the prophet of God that showed up in front of you, and then you will see what God can can do? I don't remember that part of it. it it's more Second Kings story. 4. Uh, that's another, there's another yeah, widow. Yeah, there's, a, there's another widow right after that that had been, uh, Elisha had been traveling through that area some, and he would, his this couple would uh, I don't think she was a widow, but they would invite him in. In fact, they, since he stopped so often, they made a little special room for him with a bed and a lamp and everything. And he he said, I, I want to bless this woman. And so um, he he told her that next year this time you'll have a son. And she warned him, don't do this to me. I've been childless all these years, as it were. Don't Don't say these kinds of things that you don't mean. Well, the next year, sure enough, she had a son. And then as the son grew a little older, he got sick and died. And she got she got on the back of a mule and rode and found Elisha and said, I told you not to do this to me. Now it was worse. There's one kind of grief that is a grief from being childless. Now she had the grief of having not only having been childless, but now having a child and losing a child is 10 times worse. And so he Elisha went and raised this boy from the dead. And um I don't know if that's the story, but there's part of that in there uh, that, uh, once again, God blessed th- that woman for doing things that were profitable for the for the work of the prophet. He was she was helping him out out of her pocket, uh, gen- generously. No one even asked her to. She was helping him out. Now you know, Laura, as a as a minister for close to 50 years, I can tell you. I'll talk the rest of the afternoon about good things that have happened to me, but think people have the ways people have treated me. I can also tell you about not quite as many stories about how poorly I've been treated at times, but they, they don't that's that end doesn't even come close to the times of generosity, unexpected generosity from people and undeserved generosity that came my way because people not because they love me, but because they love the Lord. And that's really how God, to some degree, expects his teachers to be taken care of. And and now there's an element of that, though, that would not have happened to me if I'd been different myself in some ways. So for whatever, for good or for bad, People, if they, if people perceive that you're responsible and that you have a good heart and you try to teach the truth, they try to help you. A lot of people do. 
and that that doesn't happen all the time. But that's just a lesson of how life is to be lived. You see, we, we'll receive brothers and sisters a hundredfold. How is that? Is it going to happen magically? No, it's going to happen oftentimes based upon the fact that we are serving God. He can bless us. He does it, uh, but he uses our efforts in the process. So anyway, I'm uh, I'm probably not um, well, Mike, that, addressing that's, your. That's what we are created for. He says in Ephesians that we, we were created for good works. Uh, and and basically what what God is saying is he wants you to have faith in him, but he also wants to see your faith. Now, none of those things can save you outside of the blood of Christ. Right. That you can't earn in that, in that sense. But but God does. He created you for that purpose. It's God's. It's always been God's will to bless human, bless man. But He's chosen to bless man sometimes in this way, according to their deeds. And that's what He says in Galatians six, that you will reap what you sow. If you sow to a certain kind of life, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to these good things, you'll reap everlasting life. That's a principle of the universe. And so it works in this case. And that's why if God blesses you with material things, and he's blessed almost every single one of us with material things in the United States, he, uh, we, we ought to be grateful and we ought to be generous. Just, just yeah, have confidence that yeah. when you help someone, God will, pay, God will give it back to you. In First Kings, you got Elijah and the widow, and then Elijah revives the widow's son. And then in Second Kings, you have Elisha. Elisha. That's so, the one I'm talking about right there. Mantle. So he was able to do the same thing. Yes, they were two very different kinds of Elijah men. in First Kings. Yeah, Elijah in First Kings, Elisha in Second Kings. Yeah, right. one was right. one uh, came after the other is like prodigy. Yeah, like a father and son relationship, although they weren't related. And uh, those are from pretty tough times in Israel. That's why you find them both dealing with poverty. The people had the people had drifted away from God, and and they were some very very hard times in that in that setting. And yet you see uh, God is able to to bless the work of both of these men. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah was a very bold and out, you know, extra, extroverted man, did this great miracle of bringing down fire from heaven and all that. Elisha was apparently a much quieter man, much more reserved. And God used both of them to accomplish his will. But uh, sometimes we think you got to be one way or the other. This business of how we handle wealth and what we think of wealthy people. And I did mention in the beginning, I think it's an important context. Throughout most of the Bible book, in the books of the Bible, the people, the general attitude in society, even though this was across different cultures, I recognize there are different cultures at work here. But for the most part, the rich were viewed well. They were viewed as, as God having blessed them and being good people in general. Were they? No more so than today. Whereas if you were poor, it was, you were viewed as being having not been blessed by God. You know, there's a similar view in Hinduism. You know, the reason that these un, 
in uh, in and in Buddhism in India, for example, they don't help the poor a lot of times there because of their religion, which says that the untouchables are untouchable and poor because that's karma. Amer- Americans like to think they believe in karma. Well, karma is a pretty rough law because the idea there is these untouchable poor people that are starving deserve it because that's what karma's done to them. The rich are good because they've earned the riches. By by what they've done in a past life, I don't believe any of that foolishness. Not it's not biblical. Nor is it biblical. On the other hand, like modern Americans say, all rich people are evil, all poor people are good. Poor people aren't necessarily good. Rich people aren't necessarily bad. It's it's one of those ridiculous things that we come to believe to me. And then then there's Lazarus and the rich man, the story that Jesus tells. Yeah, that's that again flips this narrative that the rich are good on its head in, in the Bible, but yet the Bible's filled with rich people that are good. Laura, sure. I think I'm cutting you it's off. What were you want to say? For what we have, it's a matter of how we use what we have. Right. How tightly do you hold it? For our own gain before others. Even if look at the story of the of the widow with the two mites, she threw in everything she had because of her need. She knew if she just took what she had and put it in, that God would take care of her. Those are faith, and that's what it is. Faith is lacking. And God said she gave more than the rich people are putting more more literal money in, but she gave more. Uh, Yes, I'm very grateful as as a minister. I don't want anybody to think anything less. I'm very grateful, and the people here at church have heard me say this, for people that make money and support me in my work all all my life with their money. I'm very grateful for that. I hope all the members of our church get rich and have plenty of money and also keep their faith. Sometimes that doesn't happen. So there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a matter of how you hold it and what you do with it. And um, so, but I'm very thankful that there are plenty of people who are able to earn money or have possessions and they recognize them for what they are, that is temporary, and they believe in something better and higher in life, that's the truth of God, and so they're willing to share with others around them. And I'm, I'm, you wouldn't know this, Laura, but I'm very grateful for, the, we're a small church here, relatively speaking, in worldly terms, but I can tell you, I've been here now for 20-some years, I, I'm so thankful to be with these generous people if there's ever a need, and I, or I meet someone that's truly in need, and I say we need help, the money is there. You don't have to worry about it, and it's coming not from rich people at all. These are ordinary people working in nursing homes, you know, uh, doing ordinary jobs, but they're generous, and since they're generous, the money's still there. God c- continues to bless them as long as we use wisdom and and, and um, scriptural principles to decide what to do with it. So I'm very thankful to be around around generous, good people like that. It shows you how God works in the world. But the greedy, I, on the other hand, I have counseled, I can think of two or three cases in my life very clearly where I've sat down with certain people who were wealthy, had plenty of possessions and said, you are either covetous or right at the border of being covetous because you hold on to your money so tightly and your budget won't allow you to help a poor person. Oh, I can't, I can't give, I can't give twenty-five dollars to help this poor person because it's not in my budget. Well, I th- and I, you know, well, you need to change your budget, right? 
you need to change your budget because that's becoming covetous, holding on to something and and greedily pursuing these things. So, yes, we should be willing to rebuke the rich, too. I think I think it's interesting that we love everybody and let God sort it out. Well, yes, I mean, um, God will sort it out. Uh, he, he expects uh, he expects me as a teacher and perhaps others to read his word. And if we need to rebuke our neighbor, rebuke him. And if I need to be rebuked, I hope somebody rebukes me according to the word, not according to their own passions or, or feelings. But I hope that people would rebuke me according to the word when I need it. And I have no problem doing that when needed otherwise the other way that's that's part of how god that's how god works in the world partly in the end knowing altogether that god's the judge he'll sort it all out as you say but then again if we're not careful pride will keep us from doing that we 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 often don't listen and it's it's something we have to guard against completely all the time the, the wonder of it all is, does God? What does God think about that rich man who's generous only because he's uh, wants to look good? Now, that's the way the Pharisees were. You see, Laura, at the at the temple, well, Jesus talks about this in Matthew six about they they make a great display of giving, you know, of their throwing the money in. They had um, apparently these vessels, these pots, and from what the description that I've read is, they had like a horn at the top that opened. There was a wide opening at the top of these brass pots at the temple where people would come by and give their alms or give their temp, pay their temple tax and whatnot. And so what the rich did sometimes, apparently, the Pharisees and the other phonies, not the true good rich men like this. The rich young ruler was probably a good man, what we would look at from the world. But they would go get a bunch of coins and say they wanted to give 50 bucks. I know they didn't have bucks, but let's say they wanted to give they would get coins and they would walk by and throw all the coins in and it would make all this clatter and racket. You know, like one of those machines they used to have at Denny's, you put the dime in the top and it goes down, you know, makes all this noise. The kids love it. Well, they would do this and throw all the coins in. They'd all rattle and slowly go down and people would all turn and look who who gave that much. They would all turn and look and see who it was. And they're still standing by the pot, you know, basking in the glory of all the money they just gave. That's what Jesus is saying, don't do. Because he says, well, he's saying you can do that, but that's, that's it. That feeling you got of everybody thinking you're a great person, that's all the reward there is. There's no more reward. I won't bless you at all. Beyond that, I won't bless you. You got your reward. But he says, you you give, don't let, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. Isn't that one of the expressions Jesus uses? Yes. Don't Meaning, meaning you do these things quietly, and not ostentatiously, not drawing attention to yourself. You don't have to always give anonymously, but uh, you're not doing it for show. And so these people then would come along and put in one coin. <laughs> they gave it at least as much, but they weren't making a show of it. So we have all this is the this is a heart problem, isn't it? This is definitely a heart problem. Well, it's it's something we have to learn. And and Paul says. Uh, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And yet the writer in Hebrews talks about Jesus in this way in Hebrews 5, beginning around verse 8 or so. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Our obedience to his word is extremely important. Right. It, is, it cannot be ignored. And in order to learn obedience, we have to sometimes suffer. God does that in teaching us. He does a lot of things that sometimes we don't like. But we have to learn from it, and particularly we have to learn from the Scripture. If we want to understand and, and imitate Jesus, we have to learn from the Scriptures what he said and what he did and all the reasons for that. Because he says, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If we do not obey what's in the Scriptures, if we do not obey the gospel, we will be lost. Amen. Yep, well, you guys have a great day. Thank you, Laura, for your comments <laughs> and call. I appreciate it very much. Call back again yeah, anytime. You know, um, uh, I guess we should let's, let's move on to another subject. Appreciate Jerry's call here about the camel and the eye of a needle. There's a lot more could be said. Maybe we didn't even get to the heart of it. We tried. Um, so I have an article. I don't even know if it, this is the kind of thing that bugs me kind of thing happens, Gary. I've got some of these. This is one I ran across this week. Here's the title, and I these I've actually un, I actually unsubscribed to a couple of things this week because the top, the headlines are just clickbait. They're supposedly like news sources, and it says you won't believe what Joe Biden just did. And blah, blah, blah. They don't. Then you read it, and there's almost nothing. There's about nothing what, there, and, and the truth is. A news if and that they pretend to be a news organization, a news story would say Joe Biden says such and such or did such and such. It would tell you in the headline. And I had journalism classes, and you're supposed to put into the headlines and the lead of the lead story, the lead paragraph should encapsulate the gist of the story, right? But they don't do that. They just want you to click on it. So here's one: If every woman believed every word in this three-minute video. It could literally change the world. Well, so I clicked on it because this is, you know. It, well, it was only three minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, and I can't show you the video, obviously, but let me read you the, some of the things this video says. And here's some women. It's This is for every woman who's supposed to believe this now, Gary. You are beautiful. I'm sorry. Not all women are beautiful. Now, we could, and I don't think they were defining beauty there is physical or spiritual beauty women are just young women are being taught that even if they are not that attractive they are beautiful it's simply not true and that's that just starts the whole thing off wrong you are smart are all women smart no they're not not smart compared to other are you are funny are all women funny most women have a much much less of a sense of humor than men do you know how I'm going to know I can know that because how they just reacted to me saying that. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I, women are not as funny as men in generally speaking. That's why it's rare to have women comedians. Women are not all funny. You are kind are all women as every woman kind. The Bible, the Bible is wrong. If that if this is true, the Bible is wrong because the Bible pictures many unkind women, many wicked women in it. OK, just like it does many good men and many wicked men you are unique well that might be true you're worthy of love and affection eh, okay that's probably right even if you're ugly physically or even if you're ugly spiritually 
and not that bright and you're not that funny or you're worthy of love and affection. Yes, you are. I agree with that one. You're never too much and you're always enough. Now, you can be too much. OK, that's just non that's just nonsense uh, to say to a woman, you're never too much and you're always enough. Uh, it says what's, what's that called? Word salad. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It says. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, <clears throat> uh, let me read some of these other ones here. Uh, skip down some of this stuff. Uh, he goes on to talk about you're worth this, you love this, and uh, whether you love. Then he goes on to say whether you love yourself or love your life or you can't stand to look in the mirror, blah blah. He goes on all these feelings, and he talks about you're strong and capable. You read about women in the Bible, Esther, Ruth, Martha, Mary. These women changed the world forever. You also read about Jezebel and Athaliah. You also read about all those kind of wick, the wicked woman of Proverbs. You read about those two, and. Uh, it says, uh, I, and it, in the end it says, I am awesome, and please don't forget it. Now look, the worthy woman of Proverbs and the other worthy women like Sarah in the Bible and others are not walking around all day, Gary, with a mirror in front of them saying, "You, I am awesome, I am beautiful, I am worthy. They're not that. And when you have to walk around with a mirror all the time, looking into it or a phone saying, I am awesome all day, you're probably not. Okay, you're probably not awesome. You, you you may need help. You may need encouragement, but this is not going to change the world for the better. I'll go back. Gary knows my one of my sayings. People <laughs> want to change the world. Uh, you know, I want to I want to make a difference. They say. Well, you know, Hitler made a difference. Don't you want to make a difference for good? Well, that's what this article is. Yeah, you could. It could change the world if everyone believed this. Uh, for the worse, because there has to be a healthy dose of humility in being a woman, just like there does in being a man. That article doesn't give you that. That article just puffs up people that sometimes those same people need a good case of self-examination. They need a real good case of reorienting their priorities and reorienting their thought processes, not just because they're a woman, but because they're a human being. So this kind of drivel on the Internet about and that's it's common in the female world for that kind of drivel to be put out as something life affirming. Some people, Gary, do not need to be affirmed. Am I allowed to say that on the radio? Some people and some behaviors do not need to be affirmed. They need to be. I just, I just I just keep coming back to very smiling. He doesn't know what to say here. I'm well, sorry. no, I keep coming back to Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Right. That's what we need to. This kind of article does not produce that in women. It produces a vain and self-oriented woman. Those are not good women. If the same kind of article was written about a man, you know, you couldn't, you probably couldn't even get an article like this about men published. If I wrote something <laughs> analogous to this, I made a video about young men. men. Yeah. It would never get anywhere. It would never be published by anyone. It would, it would be considered, you know, such ridiculous drivel or misogynistic stuff that no one would publish it. 
But here now, this is this is on a Christian website. This is on a church leaders Christian faith faith woman website uh, put forth for Christian women. That doesn't sound like Proverbs 31 or First Peter 3 to me about how women ought to be taught and what what women ought to be taught that you just quoted for one thing. So uh, anyway, I, that's, I, that's I probably more, sound more upset about that than I am, but it's just constant. That's Isaiah 57, 15. Yeah, it's just not useful. And and young men, you you if you meet a young woman that's been imbibing this kind of stuff and spouts this kind of stuff to you, you need to back away and go find a wife somewhere else. You really do. You need to think twice if they're having to affirm themselves every day that no matter what they do, they're beautiful uh, uh, or the matter what they say, they're funny or smart uh, and all the other stuff that goes on in here. Now, now it's it's one thing to encourage women, encourage girls. And I know they have a problem with self-image sometimes, but some of that's because they believe the world that tells them that physical beauty is everything. They're believing it. Stop believing that about yourself and so forth. But young men need encouragement too. And, and it's just as hard to be a young man as it is to be a young woman. And young men have body issues and all the same issues girls do, and they don't receive the kind of help that girls do. But, but puffing yourself up and not being realistic about it will never help. You know, there's an old song out there that rings true for men when men hear it. Um, who is it now? I just saw this the other day. I, I want to say Travis Tripp, but that's not who it is. You don't know you're beautiful. She don't know she's beautiful. You probably, Gary never listens. He listens to NPR classical music. He doesn't know <laughs> good songs like She Don't Know She's Beautiful. Sharon but probably knows you, you it. You look it up. Sharon probably I hope everybody's knows. Googling that right now because it's that's what men find attractive. She is beautiful, but she doesn't act like it and know that she is and strut around like a peacock with fake eyelashes and all the makeup and all the other garbage that they put on and, and pu- puffing up their body parts here or there. This is not Christian womanhood. It's vanity. And this this article seems to kind of promote that kind of self-absorption. That's why I object to it. Well, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of two scriptures, uh, Matthew 5. Three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we're going to have to come back next week and define meek, because I know, I know what everybody else is thinking is not what that word is here in Matthew. But he's talking about people who are humble and contrite in heart. I'm so grateful every day that God blessed me with a woman that... Uh, now, somebody just texted me One Direction sang that song. Uh, that's not what I'm, the one I'm thinking of. But God blessed me with a woman who was nothing like any of that. And yet she truly is beautiful. And Gary, the same way. All right, our time is gone today. Thanks for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Don't let the last few minutes turn you off from ever listening again. <laughs> <laughs> but think about what's being said. We appreciate it. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. And you'll find lots of resources there. Come and visit us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, 2196. You'll find a warm welcome, ordinary people. You won't be asked for money or embarrassed in any way. Come and give us a chance, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. May God bless you until next week. Let's take the rest.
You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.